Amen. Well, you guys may be seated. And for those of you that are utilizing uh, our children's ministry, we run that through first grade. You can uh, take your children back there now to check in. For those of you whose kids are staying in the service, just again, uh, they are most welcome as they look to um, learn just the, again, the rhythms of our worship. Uh, We read through uh, each Sunday just kind of paragraph by paragraph through our Confession of Faith, the 1689 London Confession of Faith. We've been looking at what it says regarding God's covenant, and uh, I'm going to read paragraph 3 of chapter 7. It says, this covenant is revealed, and we're going to talk about this some this morning, is revealed in the gospel, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman. So remember that as we work through our sermon. Afterwards, by farther steps, until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. And it is founded in that eternal covenant transaction that was between the Father and the Son about the redemption of the elect. And it is alone by the grace of this covenant that all of the posterity of fallen Adam that ever were saved did obtain life and a blessed immortality, man being now utterly incapable of acceptance with God upon those terms on which Adam stood in his state of innocency. In other words, we cannot earn um, our salvation being right with God. God is the covenant maker. He's the covenant keeper. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. And again, we're going to revisit some elements of that particular paragraph that I just read to you. But we are going to look at specifically... Verses 21 to 25 of Mark chapter 4. And we are in the middle of working through uh, some particular parables. Um, these parables of Jesus that are uh, have been recorded by John Mark under the inspiration of the Spirit. And, and, uh, and we're going to continue to look at these parables. There's going to be two more that we look at in this uh, particular chapter, um, and and maybe these parables, you know, if you've done a read through, or if you're trying to keep up with where we are um, on Sundays, maybe from a read through, maybe these parables seem disconnected at first glance. But what we're going to notice as we kind of slowly consider them is this thread that connects them that that we need to pay attention to, and and the thread is the way in which the Word of God, okay, which reveals the mystery of God, but the way that the Word of God is received by man and how it, it permeates throughout all creation according to the Spirit of God. And I'll say that one more time. Right? This thread is the way in which the Word of God, okay, which reveals the mystery of God, is received by man and how it permeates, how it spreads throughout all creation according to the Spirit of God. And as we work our way through this text this morning, that's going to become more obvious to us, Lord willing. And the parable that we're going to consider this morning is, according to some scholars, really two parables in one, right? What's known as the parable of the lamp, and maybe some of you have also heard in here the parable of the the measure, right? Although think both of them could be summarized, and some of your translations probably summarize them this way, as the parable of the lamp. But let me read these few verses to us, verses 21 to 25, and then I'm going to pray, 
and then we will work through this passage together. Mark, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, documents this about the parables of Christ. Also he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? But there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has hear, ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, this would be considered the parable of the measure. Right? Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We go to the Lord in prayer together. God, thank you for this word. Thank you that it's been preserved. God, that it's been expounded, preached on for thousands of years. God, there's nothing new here, Lord. Help us to retrieve by your spirit, the, the divine intent, and by your will, God, I pray that you would use it to shape us and to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, God. And we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> this is a... Uh, this is an interesting parable as it's laid down by John Mark because this language of lamp and light and basket and, and bed and, and even uh, the verbiage in, in, in verses 24 to 25, it's used in different places throughout Matthew and Luke. And more than likely what we're seeing here is Mark kind of distilling some teachings of Jesus in his short kind of immediate format, if you will. And, and, and from how we see Christ say in our text, if anyone has ears, you know, let him hear or take heed of what you hear. You know, based on those things, it's, it's perhaps safe to assume that Jesus is speaking to the multitude, right? The, this multitude that we've noted these last couple of weeks and not just uh, his particular disciples. Now, the closest parallel that we have to this particular parable is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. And I'm not going to read it. I just encourage you to go and read it. But then we see later in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 33, we see Luke say this, quoting, you know, Jesus, no one, right, when he's lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, and that those who come, who come in, may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. And we also see Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, say this. He says, you're the light of the world. Already maybe familiar with that, but when we read something like that, Jesus you know, speaking to his disciples and consequently speaking to us, we should ask ourselves, why is it that we would be called the light of the world? Right? He says, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor... Do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but 
on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And not only does God, not only does Jesus call us the light of the world, but he says this of himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, quote, Jesus said to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Right? And we see Jesus called John the Baptist, uh, who, who testified about Jesus being the Messiah, about being God in flesh. We see Jesus call him the burning and shining lamp. Right? We see that in John chapter 5, verse 35. Now, I give you these passages not because I can tease out everything that we see in them, but I give them to you so that we can better fill out the, the meaning of this parable. And there are other places that we can go, but I think these passages help to see the theme of the parable at hand. And, and, and I, what I want to do is work through our parable while drawing, drawing upon some of these other passages to kind of help <clears throat> color the, the meaning for us, the, the divine intent in for us a bit more. And so if you're taking note, notes, the, f- the first thing that, that I would encourage you to write down is this. Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp. We have this theme of light represented by the word lamp, or again, some of your translations may even say candle. And we see Jesus in John chapter 8, the passage I quickly read to you a moment ago, he calls himself the light of the world, right? But we need to understand why we can say that Jesus is the lamp in this parable, right, in this parable. Now, the KJV, which is the translation, the NKJV, which is the translation, New King James Version, the version I just read to you a moment ago, I think it, 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 it says, it, quote, is a lamp brought, right? That's, that's, what, that's how, when it's referring to the lamp, that's the phrase it, it's using. Is a lamp brought? And frankly, I think that that English translation, it it misses the mark of what John Mark, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is pressing in on in this passage. In the Greek New Testament, if you can follow me for just a moment, in the the Greek New Testament, there's a a definite article before the word lamp. But most... English translations eliminate this, and I think it's because we don't have the definite article in reference to the lamp in these other places, some of which I just read to you just a moment ago, but we don't have a definite article in these other places in the, uh, the gospel here where this you know, similar verbiage is, is, is used. However, one of the things that Mark is doing in our text is one of his chief goals is to define for us what the lamp is, or rather, who the lamp is. And, and according to the Greek New Testament, verse 21, and again, I encourage you to look at, look at your Bible as I'm saying that, but verse 21 should be rendered this way, according to the Greek. Also, he said to them, Jesus said to them, is the lamp come to be put under a basket or under a bed? Or has the lamp arrived? Has the lamp arrived to be hidden? Right? And, and that's 
that's significant for us. And, and I would note for us that if we're to connect these parables, even in this chapter, as we move along in Mark chapter 4 together, and even make sense of, of how this parable is used in Matthew and used in Luke, we need to see the necessity of this lamp. We need to see the necessity of this candle and consequently this light as the mystery of God revealed, right, that we began to discuss a couple of weeks ago, right? And, and this mystery of God that is revealed is the Word of God made flesh, right? It's Christ who came, and when He came, He brought His kingdom with Him that is slowly and gradually in God's timing filling all the, the, the nooks and crannies of the earth, right? It's this beautiful and true news that Jesus is the eternal God who humbled himself and that in him is life everlasting, right? It's Jesus as the lamp and light that enables us to be called, quote, the light of the world. Or John the Baptist to be called the burning and shining lamp, right? We're the light of the world because we testify about the light of the world. John the Baptist was the burning and shining lamp because he testified about the burning and shining lamp. It was reflecting, imaging the identity of Christ in that way. So this is significant for us to grasp. Right? Mark in this passage, right, in, in, in this parable, he's making the lamp the subject of this parable. He's making the lamp the subject of this parable, which means that he that Mark is making sure that we see in the teachings of Jesus that Jesus is the subject of the parable. Does that make sense? Right? Christ is the subject, is the focal, is the centerpiece of, of, of the parable. Again, go back to the passage in John I read to you a moment ago, right? John 8, 12, 8, 12 the first part. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Right? Or... or we see in the words of Isaiah a prophecy that we know to be fulfilled in Christ. We see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, right, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. The, the apostles, through divine revelation right, received and confirmed through their own preaching and through their own writings that Jesus is this great light. He's this great light. He's the light that came down and dwelt in the shadow of death and he shined on those who dwell in the shadow of death. Right, And the shadow of death is that place of, of eternal darkness and since the fall of Adam it's our inheritance by our very own nature. Furthermore, it's the wage that we've earned through our sinful deeds, our deeds of darkness, our transgressions of God's law. And I'll spend more time on this in a moment, but we must be clear that those who love darkness, right, and inherit darkness, we get what we desire. We get what we desire. Quote, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be 
expose John 3, verse 20. Right? And friends, we are, right? every single one of us sitting here this morning, we're held responsible for our embracing of the gospel of God. We're held responsible for our receiving of this lamp, right? This Jesus whose very presence expels darkness. Right? And, and that gets us to the second thing to note in the parable this morning. If we see Jesus is the lamp, right? And, and again, Mark is, went, um, was intentional about making sure that, that we were understanding that Jesus was te- putting himself as the center of, of the parable. But if we see Jesus as, as the lamp, right, we should also see that that means the light, right, which is the light of Christ, that it won't be hidden in darkness, that it refuses to be hidden in darkness. Look at the verses, second part of verse 21 on to 23. Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not set? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You, you don't need an ancient Near Eastern understanding of, of lamps in order to grasp what Jesus is saying to the multitude right here. Right? The, the light of a lamp, or the, the light that a lamp produces, right? it's not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to be covered. Right? It's meant to dispel darkness. It's the purpose of a lamp. Right? And, and think with me for a moment, even just about the progression of redemptive history. And this gets to what I read a moment ago in our confession, right? I want us to see how this lamp, this light, how it was meant to be revealed in God's timing, right? It was meant to be revealed in God's timing. Think back to the fall of Adam and Eve for a moment, right? What what did God preach to them in chapter 3, verse 15? preach the gospel, right? Let me remind you. He says, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, right? You've you've heard me bring that passage up regularly, but, but this is gospel preaching. God in this passage, he preached the gospel to Adam. He preached the gospel to Eve and to the serpent, right? A gospel that summarized in the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, who's the devil. And as we move from there through the Old Testament, we see this promise of grace, this covenant of grace, which God alone keeps, right? We see it brought further into clarity. And and we see that happen with these other covenants in the Old Testament, all of these temporal, local covenants that were to direct us toward this overarching covenant of grace, right? So this covenant of grace we see God promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we see it brought clearer and clearer as redemptive history has progressed in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and then it was accomplished or concluded in the New Testament, the New Covenant in Christ Jesus, right? God has moved us along through redemptive history so that at the proper time, he could reveal the mystery, right? That's why Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 could say, when the fullness of time had come, 
Right? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Right? This promise from long ago has truly been fulfilled by God who is our, our covenant keeper. Right? And it's been revealed to those who, quote, have ears to hear, who have ears to hear. Christ the light has come. Christ the light has come. He's the, he's the snake crusher that God promised and proclaimed in Genesis 3.15. He's the light that was prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And John says this of him in John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. In him, in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend, which means overtake it. It didn't win. Right? That's glorious news, isn't it? Right? What God alone has promised, God alone has accomplished. Right? Moving from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that darkness, it didn't win. And if you're familiar with your Bible, especially with your Old Testament, you see just how much evil there has been throughout history. Not just in our time, right? Yet the seed of Satan did not prevail. The seed of Satan did not prevail. And as we move along away from the first advent of Christ, right, his first coming over these last... 2,000 years, and we move toward a second advent, his second coming, we can or we should have confidence that the light produced by the lamp of God will continue to overtake the darkness until it's finally and ultimately conquered. And this should fill us as Christians with so much hope. It should fill us with hope. You know, many of us have social media or we're at least connected to the news and, and you may be tired of hearing me say this, but I at least need to remind us of this as much as we're being told and fed the opposite. But contrary to what you may see on social media that gets you spun up, contrary to what you may see in the news and in our world that's concerning, and I'm not saying that we you know, shouldn't be prayerfully engaged in what's going on, right? The Christian worldview is not one of disengagement. The Christian worldview is one of engagement. But contrary to what most of, to, to most of what you see and read and hear about, do you know, and I mean really know, like experientially know, know, know the kind of knowing in your bones, if you will, do you know that the darkness will not prevail? It, it won't prevail. It will not overtake. Right? The, the darkness initially thought that the cross was its finest hour. Its peak of power. But a resurrection followed, didn't it? A resurrection followed. Right? The, the light of the gospel of God is and will continue to go forward. It can't be extinguished. These parables that we're looking at, they remind us of this, right? The whole of the biblical narrative 
reminds us of this, right? We need to let the Word of God settle our souls, settle our minds, settle our anxieties on this matter, right? Our fears, our anger, our despair, our combative spirits, right? They indicate that we haven't quite learned this lesson yet. And maybe some of us in the, this morning need to turn the computers and TVs off because, frankly, we may not be mature enough to process and engage in a way that honors the Lord. But hear me well and be comforted this morning and allow the truth of this to motivate you to, to rid yourself of any sin of despair and anger and worry of your life. The darkness, it does not overcome the light. It doesn't overcome the light. G.K. Chesterton once said, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it knows a God who knows the way out of the grave. Or even better, right? take, heart in the wor- take heart in the words of Christ. Quote, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be happy. For I have overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33. So the light of Christ, it, it overtakes the darkness. It's been, it's been doing that throughout all of redemptive history, and it will continue to do that as we approach the, the return of King Jesus. Third, our reception of Christ now has eternal consequences. Our reception of Christ now has eternal consequences. Verses 24 and 25, right, what could be considered the parable of the measure. He, Christ, said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. One theologian rightly notes that There's a play on words here when Christ uses the phrase, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The basket that Jesus uses in the parable in in verse 21, it would have been used for measurements. So, So hence the play on words. So Jesus, in effect, is saying the same size basket that we, you know, try to put over the lamp, it's going to be put over us. And here's the promise in the middle of that, right? Jesus says, he who has, right, more will be given. And then we see in that also a warning. He who has not, even what he has, will be stripped away. Jesus says this in verse 24. He says, take heed what you hear, right? In other words, give great care. Give great attention. Give great weight to what I'm saying. Right? And, and Christ uses the word here four times just in these four verses in our parable this morning. Right? The emphasis here is on the multitude's receptivity of Christ, who's the lamp. Christ, who's the lamp. Again, the mystery of God revealed. Right. The emphasis is on the way in which one embraces Christ as the Savior of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. The emphasis is on whether one rests, one trusts, one takes up residence with Christ who died for our sins and again rose for our justification, right? And there should be this warm and glad and joyful, this 
kind of this news is too good to be true, but it's true embracing of the light of the world, which leads right to an eternity spent with the light of the world, an eternity spent in the warmth and radiance of this light, of this Lord. And for those who rest and trust in Christ, there's even a greater inheritance than you can possibly imagine. Right? The Apostle Paul uses the language of the supreme or surpassing value. Anything that we think is remotely good in this life, Christ is of surpassing value than that. Right? Than the best of things. Jesus says, to those who have more will be given. In other words, you don't know the half of it. Right? You don't know the half of it. But for those who, who cover this light, in other words, for those who suppress what is true and suppress what's beautiful and suppress what's good right, in unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus is even what they have will be taken away. In other words, things are going to get a lot worse. Things are going to get a lot worse. There's a telos, an end, that, that all of creation is, is moving toward. And for those who willingly walk in darkness, there will be everlasting darkness, right? And eternal hell, right? Wrath poured out for sin not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, we get what we desire. We get what we desire, right? Apart from our embracing Christ who is this light we've been relishing in this morning. What we inherit instead is this land of the shadow of death that Isaiah spoke of. What we do with Christ now, it has eternal ramifications. Christ really is the difference between heaven and hell. If you want your sins forgiven, go to Christ. Go to Christ. He's the only way to have peace with God. There's no other way. There's no other name by which man can be saved. So this morning, we're reminded that Christ, He's the lamp. We're reminded that He's the light that overcomes darkness. And we find in our final point that we must all come to Him in repentance and faith for life everlasting. Right? A life found in him alone. We go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that we would be enriched this morning, spiritually nourished by the reminder Christ, the lamp, the light that expels darkness. And if it weren't for his light, God, we would all wander in darkness for all eternity. And so, Lord, help us to take comfort in Christ this morning. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would take seriously the words of Jesus in this parable. That they would come to Christ.
this very moment. And I pray this in Jesus' name.